pray for him, pray over him with me. And I just feel in my spirit that it's um, like a commissioning. Um, and I feel like that uh, this is part of a, a greater journey. And uh, there's going to be a destiny that you find. Oh, you guys can come up. Come on up. Mom and dad want to come up. Come on. Tom, this is Tom and Rose. This is, this is one of their sons. Um, so I just feel like uh, in your heart, in my heart, that it's, uh, you know, I see like a winding road. And then as you're going through this door, I see like the path is going to become a lot straighter to you. And uh, I just really feel like that. And I even see a runway. So there's some part of your life, there's going to be an experience or something that's going to happen. And it's just going to take you off. And I don't know what, if, what, what that relates to in general. And I don't feel like the Lord is showing that to me. But um, uh, I just really believe that this is, a, this is something that's going to straighten out your path. And you're going to be able to see clearer and you're going to rise higher through this experience. So um, we, we want to pray over you. That's all right. All right, so you guys just pray with me. Father, we just thank you so much for the son, Lord. We thank you for this family. And Lord, we release this man, God, into the calling that you have for him. We just put grace upon his heart. And God, I just release to him that you would activate whatever that commission means as he's commissioned into this thing. And, and uh, as he walks through this door and his way becomes straight and he's launched into his future through this experience and this encounter. God, I pray that you would give him the wisdom and the discernment um, and I just hear, I hear this, so uh, greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life. And I feel like God is going to bring a, a level of goodness into you. And, and I feel like it's a setup for your future. Um, are you doing electronics or something? What are you doing? What are you, you're doing I kept seeing our computers. Um, so I just feel like God is going to just use that to train you uh, and equip you. And just it's going to be a setup play for your life. And you're going to learn things that you wouldn't have learned in any other environment. And I feel like that God's going to impart to you a high level of technical skill. Um, and I feel like you have a proficiency in that. And so God's going to give you a greater level of proficiency. And I feel like you're going to excel beyond your peers. And I just prophesy, I just see the Lord saying that he's going to like, you're going to stand out. And, uh, and I feel like the Lord's going to mark you as exceptional and he's going to raise you up in those environments. And so we just release that over you and we bless you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. There we are. Hey, high five. There we go. We high five around here. All right. So we're doing a teaching on kingdom culture. And last week we started out with the idea and the understanding that God is good. Anybody believe that? That God is good all the time? And we've got to understand this. And so what does this mean? And it, for us as a Christian, it's about getting the Christian to understand who we are. And that as a Christian, you're not ordinary. Right? Do you believe that? You're not ordinary? Do you believe deep down in your heart you're exceptional? Because you are. You're not exceptional because of who you are, you're exceptional because of what he has done and who he has made you or who he's called you to be. Has anybody ever heard the verse, we're in the world, but we're not of it? Yeah. You ever heard that verse? Okay. So what exactly does that mean? You know, we kind of quote these things like, like they're poems. I'm in the world, but we're not of it. And we just kind of flutter around with that. And we don't really understand what that means. What the Bible is telling us is that we are in a culture, but we are not of that culture. We exist within a culture, a context, a mindset, a way of life, a way of thinking, but we are not of that culture and we are not of that, that mindset, that way of thinking or that way of believing or even that way of living for that matter. As a Christian, you are translated from one world into another, from darkness to light, from one realm into another. That's what it means to be a believer. And so we're not of this world. We're aliens. We're, we're ambassadors of Christ. We represent something entirely different. And so what is a culture? It's a set of ideas, beliefs, practices that define a specific group. 
the believer, the Christian, is to be defined by a beliefs, practices, and ideas, a system that operates through the life of the Christian that is not found anywhere else. We're unique, we're peculiar, right? You say, I don't want to stand out, it's too late. You're the light of the world, right? It's too late, you're the salt of the earth. We, Jesus has called us out to be something, to become something, to represent him. And so if we are in this world, but we're not of it, and we're in a culture, but we're not of it, then we're part of a culture. What culture are we a part of? We're part of heaven's culture. We're part of heaven's world. The call, the mandate that is upon the life of the believer is that world to this one. On earth, come on, help me out. This is... The, that's right. And earth as it is in heaven. Well, who's going to do that? We are the ones who represent that world. Heaven is a greater idea than this one. Anybody understand that? Anybody actually glad that this isn't it? This is not it. And so we're believers. Are there any believers in the room? Right? And so if we're a believer, we believe something, don't we? Don't we? Aren't we supposed to believe something? We're supposed to have faith. And we, well, I believe Jesus is Lord, and I believe that, you know, he died for my sins, and if I confess him as Lord, then I'm saved. That's the substance of most Christians' belief. And they believe no, no more beyond that point. And what we have done is we have failed to impart the kingdom gospel to the church. And what we have failed to do is give the believer the understanding of, everybody say it with me, fullness. fullness. We have failed in imparting the fullness. And what we do is we teach a reduction we teach the gospel in its most simplistic terms. But when we understand one plus one equals two, how many knows one plus one equals two isn't going to get you to the moon? Calculus is going to get you to the moon, right? Quantum physics, the understanding of that. So one plus one equals two is nothing more than a setup for a greater understanding. Do we understand that? And the understanding that Christ died, rose again, through him we have forgiveness of sins, through him we have salvation, through him we have the Holy Spirit. That is simply a platform upon which a greater understanding is to be built. Come on. Yet we live in remedial math. We teach the church to live in one plus one equals two, and we got a bunch of thumb suckers and lollipop lickers running around, and we wonder why the church is immature. We wonder why we act like a bunch of preschoolers because we've not taught anything different. Can I get a witness? All right. We're believers. We are to believe. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways above your ways. As a Christian, we are to understand the mind of God. We actually have the mind of Christ. We can think, understand, and know as he does in the spirit. We're not just to believe, we're to do. And that what James tells us, you say you have faith, that's great, I'll show you my faith by my works. So we don't just believe, we do. Faith without works, faith without doing anything is dead. You can believe Jesus heals the sick, but if you don't pray for the sick, it's, what, what good is it? You can believe that Jesus died for the whole world, but if you don't tell anybody, what good is it? You can believe you have the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit, but if you do not exercise it, what good is it? It's worthless. There's the church of Thessalonica. I love this name. Thessalonians. Anybody got Nike shoes at all? Nike? You know what it stands for? It means victory. It comes from a Greek word, Niki, which means victory. This church is Thessaloniki. It is the church victorious. It is written to a church that is in the city of the victors. We give thanks. So Paul is writing to a, a church that is in a city that lives in victory or that is named after victory. Thessaloniki. Thessalonikans. 
people of victory, understand, I give thanks to you, making of mention of you in my prayers, remembering without ceasing. So here's their outworking, their work of faith. Faith has a work attached to it. Understand that? There's a participation that has to happen within the faith that we possess. Your work of faith, your labor of love. How many knows love is a labor? Can I get a witness? Jesus bears long with you. He works in the known. But what love is in the Bible, what we interpret love as, we interpret love as an emotion, a feeling, a fuzzy, a warm, I can't eat, oh, I love you kind of thing. The Bible's understanding or the, the Bible's definition of love is to seek the highest good. The Bible never mentions love in the form of an emotion. While love has an emotion attached to it, love at its substance is not an emotion. Understand that? It's a verb. It is an outworking. It is to seek the highest good. So when God loves you and he is working love into your life, he is seeking the highest good. That's why some of the things that happen to us when we're praying or God starts working in our life, we think it's unloving because it doesn't make us feel good. God doesn't love me. If he loved me, this wouldn't be happening because this doesn't feel good. Right? But what he's actually doing is he's loving you. He's working out the highest good. And so here's a church that is known, that it works, labors in love, and has patience. Everybody say this with me. Hope requires patience. There's a verse in the Bible that says, Sorrow endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Hope requires patience. Knowing, beloved, that you are the election of God, and our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and much assurance. So here's a church that is operating and demonstrating into the world, manifesting a culture of heaven through faith, love, and hope. That's what we're to do, right? And how were they able to do that? Well, the Bible tells us how they were able to do that. They knew who they were. Everybody understand that? Say it with me. They knew who they were. They were Christians. They were sons and daughters of the highest. They understood who he was. They understood who they were in light of who he was. Tells us right there. Knowing, beloved, that you are elected by God, that your election is of God, knowing you do this through the identity that you understand. If you don't get your identity right, nothing's going to happen as a believer. If you don't get that one straight, that's Article 1. Identity solves a lot of problems. Who are you? What are you? What does it all mean? And what is your purpose in the world? you got to solve the identity issue if anything's ever going to happen. That's the first one. So the first one is that they, they, they worked out these things. This, they were demonstrating the culture of heaven, which those are the parts of the culture of heaven. But they did it because they knew who they were. And they did it because they understood they needed power. Say it with me. Power. 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 That's right. No power. Nothing changes. The church, Jesus gives power. The gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with much assurance. The Spirit of God validating the, the, the gospel, validating with power. We proclaim power, but we don't have any. If we proclaim it at all. We, if the church actually even says the kingdom of, is of power, and this is what Paul's saying to here, is if the gospel is within the church, then there should be a demonstration of power. Something should be happening. People should be getting healed. Lives should be getting changed. Miracles should be manifesting. Culture should be shifting. There should be an inbreaking of one world into another, and it should come with power. Dunamis power, generated power within the believer, and exousia power released through the lives of the believer. We need power. We shun the Holy Spirit for some reason. Everybody say, let him flow. Let him flow. 
He's a gift to the church. Jesus said, it is to your benefit that I go, for if I do not go, the Spirit will not come. Jesus says, I'm leaving to impart to you something greater than my physical presence with you right now. Holy Spirit is to be valued, highly valued. That's right, come on. Say this with me. Hope is the joyful expectation of something good. Say this. As a Christian, I am a person of hope. I have joyful expectation of something good. See, it begins with the goodness of God. So we're to have joy expecting that no matter what is going on, what is happening to me, something good is going to emerge. Something good is going to either progressively move me forward in my life or something progressively is going to elevate or no matter what is happening, God is going to use this circumstance for good. And we're to have it with joy. So here's a common thing among the believer. I don't have any joy. Everybody say this with me. Rejoice. Rejoice. You know what that means? Go get it. You don't have any joy? The Bible tells you something. Go get it. Oh, I don't have any joy. I just don't have any joy. As if, as if joy was just going to come springing forth from your heart. You've got to go get it. Go get joy. Remember who you are. Remember what God has said. Declare the promises. Worship. Let the joy of the Lord come into you. Begin to go and find joy. Go get it. Stop waiting for joy to find you. You have to find it. Rejoice, which means do it again. Go back and get it. Go back and get joy. Remember, what, what do you remember? Well, at the very least you can do is remember the joy of your salvation. I'm saved, I'm healed, I'm forgiven. Thank God. You know, you at least if you can't remember anything else, remember that. Find joy. And out of that joy, expect that if God did this, he will do more. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Everybody believes that Hebrews 1 is a chapter about faith. It is not. It is a chapter about hope. Without hope, there is no faith. Say it with me. No hope, no faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith comes from hope. If you have no hope, you have no faith. If you are not joyfully expecting something good, you will believe nothing. Faith is this substance. It is the outpouring or the moving out of what is hoped for. We must hope. The Bible even goes as far as to say, now unto Jesus Christ, our hope. He's the hope. He is our hope. Hope is in him. I lift up my eyes from the hill, from there comes my help. But it's also translated from there comes my hope. That word hope and help are interchangeable. Hope comes from the Lord. Come on. Where does hopelessness come from? Because let's now let's get real. Let's pull a car up into the driveway because this is really where a lot of us are is hopeless. Anybody feel hopeless at all at any time in your life? Right? You know, some of us are feeling hopeful right now. Where does hopelessness come from? Next slide. We have a fallen world. This world has fallen. It's been subjugated into futility. I'll read you Romans. Romans 8 says this, all the creation has been subjugated into futility, but he has subjugated it into hope. What does that mean? Sin has caused life itself to become meaningless. Sin has brought all of creation, that's you, that's your body, you were created, has brought us all under the dominion of futility. That no matter how much you work, no matter how much you do, no matter what you, what you try, it always seems empty, doesn't it? No matter what relationship you're in, it just isn't working out. No matter what job you're in, it just isn't satisfying. 
No matter how much you gain, I still need a little more. Or it's all empty. It's futile. Because creation, by sin, has been subjugated into futility. But Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus, subjects it into hope. Come on. What does that mean? It means that the message of hope is greater than the message of futility. If the message of hope is spoken to you this morning, I don't care where you are, you are going to respond to it, even if you don't want to. You'll have to convince yourself back into your depression, but if I put the message of hope on you and I pump you up with hope, you are going to respond. Your body is going to respond. Your mind is going to respond. Your spirit is going to respond. Why? Because now all of creation has been subjected into hope. So the message of hope that we bring forth into the world, the message of power that's released through the life of the believer is greater than the message of futility. You understand that? It doesn't matter what your circumstances are saying to you, how futile it is. It's futile. It's empty. The ship's going down. It's all going to go. It's all over. It's all over. Man, bring in the message of hope. Boom. It all changes. Everything changes. Hope is the season changer. Hope manifests faith. And nobody carries hope but the Christian. If the Christian doesn't bring hope, there will be no hope. Because we have Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the world, the desire of nations. He's what everybody wants. They just don't know it yet. Hello. Christ is the desire of nations. Your government's not going to bring you hope. This election's not going to bring you hope. The school system's not going to bring you hope. The stock market's not going to bring you hope. It's going to bring you, at best, futility. Futility. We bring the hope. Well, if God's such a good and loving God, why doesn't he do something about all the famine in Africa? Why doesn't he do something about ISIS? Have you seen what's going on in the world? Why doesn't Jesus do something about it? He has. It's called the cross. God, heaven is not, say it with me. Come on. Heaven is not moved by human need. Heaven is moved by faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. That's right. Heaven is moved by faith. Christ has done everything. He died on the cross, right? Imparts his power to a body. Am I, am, you guys understand what I mean? We are the body of Christ, right? That's not, again, not just some artistic way of portraying the church. It's a literal understanding. We are the body of Christ. Jesus dies, imparts his spirit, power, and will unto us and sends us into the world. To do what? To bring hope. The issues of poverty, the issues of injustice, the issues of all of the pain and suffering in the world are not the responsibility of human governments. They are the responsibility of heaven's government into the rule of the people of God. You are the we are the responsible party. The church itself is responsible for this according to heaven's decree. We are responsible. It's not been given to our human governments. And the church has vacated her responsibility for a long time. And in vacating our responsibility, we've also vacated our power. We bring healing through manifest presence, through direct action by the Spirit empowered. We also bring, uh, we also bring change and transformation through direct action into culture. We bring the change. And that's why if the church doesn't do it, it is not going to happen. It just isn't. Nations were changed because the church did things. Now you look at our hospitals, Holy Cross, St. Andrews, you know, Bethany, you know. Who, who started the hospitals in the 20th century in America? It wasn't Health United. It were Christians. 
Christians. The majority of the schools, the majority of the universities in this nation, Yale, Harvard, all of the Ivy League schools were Christian universities. They're far from it, but they didn't start out as secular. The government didn't foster education. The church did. The government didn't foster health care. The church did. And there was a revival culture embedded into this land. And so now the church just throws it off to AVMED or whoever it is of the popular day. Or we throw it off to the Department of Education. And we vacate our responsibility. We vacate it. And what do we have? Powerless church. Purposeless church. Empty culture. Empty society. Looking for bread and circuses from our government. When the kingdom authority has been given to us. We're the answer. It doesn't mean we know what we're doing. Huh? Yeah. This is, the, this, is, this is the glory. When you get this, you're going to be fine. When you get that Jesus commissions you with something and you're like, what? How am I supposed to do it? And you get the fact that he's given you something, but he's not expecting you to figure it out. You're free now. He's given us a mandate. And he expects us to partner with him. He expects us to come on. He expects us to reach and let his wisdom flow and begin to take the orderly steps that he lays out. He will order your steps. He will order the process. What he's looking for is a partnership. Can the church partner with its master? Can the bride of Christ actually start working with her husband? Can we? I don't know. That's our mission. That's our mandate. That's what we're trying to do. (laughs) What do you want, Jesus? We'll give it to you. You want to do this? Okay. You know, we don't know what we're doing, but we're going to go for it. Come on. It's what he wants, man. This is a revival. This is an awakening unto our purposes. This is an awakening unto who we are. Hopelessness is inevitable when people lose hope. They encounter overwhelming loss. This is what causes us to lose hope. You have overwhelming loss, your hope's gone. Repeated failures, hopeless. Impossible situations, I feel hopeless. I can't change anything. You've been hurt by people that that, that trust you. But when you have a serious relationship with God, somebody wrote this, I just copied it. Um, I don't want to tell you who, but anyway, it's good. It was good, so I just threw it in there. (laughs) <laughs> when, they, when the people have a serious relationship with God and they begin to understand his word, real hope is not far from reach. We bring hope, man. We're the hope to the world. Until we understand that that's who we are, until we understand and minister hope to ourselves, until we get our identity straight and we start to walk in this, it's never going to come out into the world. We should be hope. This should be nothing but a house of hope, man. Nobody should leave this place discouraged. In fact, I give you all permission that if you're discouraged, you go and find someone and say, man, I'm discouraged. Can you just speak hope to me? And I give you permission to unleash relentless hope. Relentless hope. And if that person isn't hitting it, go find five or six other people until you get what you need. And if you are a hope bringer, which you all are, then you should be intentionally looking for people to give hope. When you hear stories of pain, man, boom, here's hope. Boom, here's hope. Boom, here's hope. We're prisoners of hope. That's what the Bible says. You know what we are? What culture teaches us, what this world teaches us, is to become prisoners of our problems. So many of us are prisoners to our problems. Hello. Locked in a dungeon of despair. Woe is me. This is the way it was. This is the way it's always going to be. 
You know how they teach an elephant to tie on? Does you ever see circus elephants? They hold them with a rope. Some of you know what they do to them. They condition them. This elephant is like beast, man. You mean to tell me that little braided rope is going to hold that elephant? All that elephant's got to do is just go, whoosh, and he's going to break the rope. But they've conditioned the elephant to believe something that is not true. And they conditioned the elephant that when it was younger, they tied it with chains, and it couldn't break the chains. And they conditioned the elephant to believe that if it pulls on whatever's tied to him, it's futile and they can't escape. They conditioned it to believe something that's not true. Many of you have been conditioned through problems and circumstances that are not true. You are a believer. The prisons that are holding you, if you push on that door, you're going to find there's no lock in that. There's no lock in the gate that keeps you there. You're free. Whom the sun sets free is? Free. That's right. Is that, is that a poem? No. Huh? It's not a poem. It's a reality. That's a truth. We're a people of truth. Reality means nothing to the believer. Truth means everything. Reality changes. Truth does not. The Bible says we do not look at what is seen, for what is seen is subject to change. We look at what is not seen, for what is not seen is eternal. So the reality of life in the life of a believer, if it is contrary to what God says, means nothing. We pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. This is the power of the Christian. And we just accept it, oh, like elephants. Oh, I can't pull off the rope. I can't pull off the rope. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You are more powerful than you understand yourself to be. We are prisoners of hope. The Bible is telling us to come into a prison, not of our despair, but of hope. What does that mean? You lock yourself in a world that you will not think, you will not believe, and you will not speak anything that does not reflect hope. That's what it's telling you to do. It's not a place of bondage. It's a place of intentional, I am staying here. I will not move. Zechariah, come back to the place of safety. Okay, where's the place of safety? Prisoners of hope. It just told you where the place of safety is. When you find yourself and say, I refuse to have an attitude, I refuse to have a mindset, I refuse to think a thought, I refuse to speak a word that is not hope-filled. I'm not talking about having bad days. We all have bad days. I'm not talking about having bad moments. I'm talking about the reestablishment of a pattern. What is the pattern of your life? Is the pattern of your life, the concourses of your life, is that all defined by old patterns of thinking which are negative, down, despair, blue, woe is me, God hates me, God doesn't love me, all that? Is that the pattern? We all have bad days. So, you know, let me just set you free. We all got bad days. So we all got bad days. So don't beat yourself up on a bad day. When the Bible speaks, it always speaks in patterns. What is the arcing pattern of your life? What is the, if they were to look, somebody was to look at your life, what is the consistency of your life? Not what's the wrong turn you made or the bad turn or the curb you hit. You know, maybe you hit the gas pump when you're trying to get fuel. You know, that, that's not what we're, we're concerned with. What's, what heaven is concerned with is the arcing pattern of your life. Which is the direction of your life? If we were to mark your life, is your, mark, is your life consistently in that direction? Come back to the place of safety, you prisoners of hope. Ready? Everybody grab the chair. Say, here comes a promise. What does he say? I promise this very day to repay two blessings for each of your troubles. Did you write that? Did you write that? I didn't write that. I didn't say that. Upon every promise, say it with me, upon every promise, there is a condition. Every single one. 
So if this has a promise, and this is a direct promise from God, then there must be a condition. What's the condition? The condition of that promise is that we abide in what? Hope. That we maintain the position, the posture of hope. And the Lord said, it will come. Do not be weary in your well-doing. You if we're in due season, you will reap if you faint not. It will come. That's right. We are prisoners of hope. We are, our hope is our place of safety. Our hope is in the Lord. If God is for you, who can be against you? What can separate you from God's active love in your life? What can do that? It's our place of safety. Anything people do to you is temporary at best. Anything circumstances do to you is temporary at best. And God said he'll turn it around. He'll turn it around. He'll shift it. He'll work it out for your good. He'll promise you double blessing. You're the anointed and favored of God. When the Bible says this, when they touch you, they touch the apple of his eye. I didn't, again, here, this is what your Bible tells you. That your father is saying this. And we, here's what we're choice. It's always, say it with me. It's always a battle of voices. Always. Whose report will you believe? The children were going into the promised land. Two said, we can take it because God is with us. Ten said, no way. We're outgunned. We're outmatched. We don't have the resources. We don't have the smarts. We don't have the intellect. We don't have the heritage. We don't have the background. We don't have the upbringing. It doesn't matter. We're, we just can't take it. And God put the choice before the people and said, which one do you want to believe? And they believed the majority. And they didn't enter the inheritance and they didn't enter the promises because they believed the voice of the, of the majority. The Lord's voice said, you can. It goes all the way back to the garden. The essence of our fallenness and the essence of our sin was because our ancestor chose the wrong voice. When, Adam, when he came to Adam, he said, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? I didn't tell you that. Who told you you were insufficient? Who told you you needed to hide? Who told you that? It's a battle of voices. And it always comes down to a battle of voices with the believer. Who will you believe? I said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose what you will believe. What do you want? As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. And I will believe him for the impossible promises. And I will be faithful unto death. That's what it calls us to be, Christian. Faithful unto death. Believe the promises even to the point if it costs you your life. Stand in faith. Believe and declare that God is good. Believe and declare. This is who we are. God understand who we are. Rise up. Sons and daughters of a lion. Rise up. The one who gave birth to you is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are sons and daughters of a lion. Not a kitty cat. Not an alley cat. Not a little mouse. You're not sons and daughters of a chicken. You're sons and daughters of a lion. Take your rightful place. <laughs> I feel like a chicken. Give yourself some high karate. Tell yourself, wake up. Rise up. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Any area of your life that is not under hope is under the influence of a liar deception. Here we go. Let's let that marinate. What area of your life is there no hope? You're under the influence of a lie and a deception. 
That is a high thing that is exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ. Wherever you feel and know and believe there is no hope, or whatever situation, there is no hope, that is, under the, that is under a lie. Either you are believing a lie or you're partnering with a deceptive circumstance because that is not what heaven says. That is not what your Bible says. Guess what? Jesus has released resurrection power into the world. Hmm? Do you know what you carry? People say we carry the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh yeah. But what is the essence of that power? Resurrection power. Life to the dead. It means overcoming the impossible. An ability that no matter, even if it's dead, the Christian carries the power of resurrection. We don't know what we're doing. I'll go to the front of the line. I know that to be true. I'm trying to figure that out as I go. And we see glimmers of that inbreaking. We see glimmers of that happening. Any area of your life that is not under, under the influence of hope is under the influence of a deception and a lie. So what you have to do is you have to be bold and courageous and confront the area where you feel hopelessness and ask yourself, why? Why? Why do I feel hopeless? Do I believe that God is not for me? Do I believe that God is not good? Do I believe I am not worthy? What is the problem? What is my major malfunction? Heaven doesn't have the malfunctions. You and I have the malfunctions. Hmm? The problem's on our side of the equation. Mathematics of heaven are perfect. We're the ones that get it wrong. So we have to ask ourselves, why do I believe this to be hopeless? Why do I believe? It's not hopeless. It's never hopeless. There is no situation that Jesus does not have an answer for. None. None. Circumstances make you hungry for his word. The things that happen to you are to cause you to press into him in a way that you would never do under any other circumstances. If it's all going good, you know, and we're all just having skip to the Luda day, and it's the land of my little pony, nobody presses into the Father for anything. We don't press into our inheritance, we don't press into our identity, we don't actually even use the things that we have. Circumstances make us hungry for His Word. They prune us in patience. That's what happens to us. The circumstances that are allowed are simply to get the Christian to understand who they are. To make you understand who you actually are. They make us hungry for his word. Next slide. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch that is not mine and doesn't produce fruit. Say this with me. He prunes the branches. He prunes the branches so that they'll bear even more fruit. And Jesus says to his disciples, you're already pruned and purified. How are they pruned and purified? By the word that I've given to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. What does this mean? Circumstances and situations cause a pruning to happen in our life. Circumstances and situations cause us to press into the Lord for a word. Okay? Now let's talk about dimensions of the word here. Because we're going to go a little higher. Right? We're going to go past grade school this morning. All right? So the word is the word of God, the written word of God. Yes. Absolutely. The promises in the word. Yes, we have the word of God. We have his promises. But what this what is talking about here and where the higher calling is, is that when you're in a circumstance, in a situation, you need a word from the Lord. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And God says in that circumstance, in that situation, I will release a word that will prune you. And I will change you. 
And that word will tell you and show you, and that word that I use to prune you will cause you to bear more fruit. God's going to tell you something in that matter if you'll listen. You say, is God still speaking? You better believe it. Wisdom is being poured out in the concourses of the streets. How long, you simpletons, will you love simplicity? How long will you be of an undiscerning heart and not be willing to listen to my voice? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say my sheep know my word, although that's important. He calls us higher. He calls us higher. Life is in his voice. My sheep hear my voice. Life and hope is in his voice. There it is. We're a culture of hope. This is the kingdom culture. It begins with a way of thinking. Hmm? I'm going to quote you this verse from Philippians, and I'm only going to use half of it. But I want to emphasize this part. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about servitude. With the language of the Greek, you know what it means? Pound it in your head. That's literally what it says. Pound it in. Pound this in your thick skull until you understand it. Beat it into your head if necessary, the Bible says. Here's what we do. We worship our minds. Well, if I can't see it and I can't comprehend it, well, then I'm just not going to embrace it. The Bible would have a word for you and it would call you a fool. And it would tell you you're building your house on sand. It tells you to disassemble your mind. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Beat it into your head. That's what it tells you. You know why? Because we're thick-headed. Can I get a witness? Huh? We're thick-headed. We think we know what's right. We think we believe what's right. We actually think what we believe is truth. Your beliefs have nothing to do with truth. His word has everything to do with truth. Thy word is truth, Jesus said. Sanctify them with what? Set them apart with truth. Your word is truth. Your beliefs mean nothing. Mean nothing. Unless they're aligned with heaven, then they mean everything. Begins with a mindset. You've got to believe and know that God is good no matter what your circumstances say. No matter what, anybody, Christian, PhD, seminary grad, you know, person on the news, no matter what they say, you must believe and know that God is good. You must. It is the cornerstone of everything. Everything comes from understanding of his goodness. And why this, and why that, and why this, and why that? Well, we, first of all, we better back up and get a doctrinal understanding of sin. Then you're going to have some of your questions answered. Then you better back up and get a doctrinal understanding of the devil. Then you're going to have your, some, a lot more of your questions answered. You'll understand why there's evil in the world when you can conceptualize sin and the devil. You'll understand that it is not from the Father. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. From the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. In other words, I don't change. The good and the perfection come from me. We have to understand sovereignty. That God in his sovereignty has delegated sovereignty to man upon the earth. Oh no, God's sovereign over all. I have people tell me, I go, is he sovereign over rape? Is he sovereign over all the murders and the injustices in the world? You mean to tell me God's authoring that? Of course he's not. He's sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he's delegated authority. The police chief is the number one police guy in the town, right? He's number one. Can we agree with that? So we have the police chief. And what does the police chief do? He delegates authority to the police officers. So the police chief isn't running around doing all of the things. You understand? 
He gives the authority to the officers. We have been given the authority. The heavens, even the highest heavens, belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. Adam was given commission and control of the earth. Adam lost commission and control by surrendering to a, to a fallen devil. The devil confronts Jesus and says, Hello, I'm the God of this world. And did Jesus go, No, you're not? He didn't even contest it because he knew it was true. Why? Because Adam had given his authority away to that fallen being. Jesus dies on a cross, boom, crushes the head of the devil, ascends into heaven, comes back and says, hey, I got it back. Here's the power. Now go and do what I told you to do from the beginning. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. We celebrate the doctrine of, we celebrate these, these actually Calvin, we, there's a doctrinal celebration that we have and we hold it up as a high understanding. And what again we do is we vacate our responsibilities well, if God wanted to do something about it, he would. It's just God's will. You know, the house burnt down. Must have been God's will. You know, bus blew up. Bus drives through and kills 90 people. Well, must be the will of the Lord in the earth. It's the will of the Lord. With sovereignty of God in action. No, it's not. No, it's not. We've got to get our thinking straight. If your thinking's not straight, nothing else will be. Everything is directed by your pattern of thought. And the Bible calls you into a renewed, transformed way of thinking. How many storms did Jesus redirect, huh? I've heard it said. Did he say, oh, let's take this storm and send it on that city and burn it to the ground because that city doesn't love me. Perfect theology is in the person of Christ. Shall we call fire down, his disciples said, like Elijah said, you don't know what spirits are of. I didn't come for that. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> God is good. We have to get the concept that he is good and who we are in him. Who are we in him? Anybody from Elevate, have you heard me tell you this? What, who are we in Christ? We are what? Sons and daughters. That's right. You've got to get the understanding that you are a son and a daughter of the highest. People say, oh, I'm a servant. That's the lowest form of understanding. Oh, I'm Jesus' friend. Well, now you're in middle school. I'm the friend of God. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. The high calling is the son and daughter. It's a concept. It's conceptual thinking is what God is calling you into. Some will only ever relate to, while I'm always a servant and while I'm always his friend, I am called higher. I am called to be a son and a daughter of the highest. I am to be about, as are you, about my father's business. We are sons and daughters. We transact business in our father's name. It's who we are. And once we understand that, we understand that he is good, and my job is to bring his goodness to the earth. My job is to release and activate his goodness in the earth. Your world will change. The very center point and direction of your life will change. You will stop living for you if you can get a revelation of that. Your life will mean nothing unless it's bringing about the goodness of God in the world because you'll understand this is my role. This is who I am as a son before the Father. This is who I am. And that's what we're called to be. That we've got, this is how transformation happens. This is how the revival culture springs forth. This is how change happens in a nation and in a society. It happens with the church. We are the agents of change. And we are malfunctioning at the base level of our thinking. This is where we're malfunctioning. Well, I don't know if God's good. Well, I'm just a servant and a slave before God. Rise up, son. Take your position in the gates. Conduct business in your Father's name. 
Rise up, daughter. Do not allow that transgression in your household. Take your rightful place. Enemy's coming down, sitting on your sofa. Well, stop feeding him a sandwich. Daughter of God, rise up and take authority over what's going on in your house. Tell that enemy to go. You got no place. Take your position. He's not going to do it for you. We have to understand our power, we have to understand our inheritance, and we have to understand the responsibility that we have in that. I only have one more slide, so hang with me. <laughs> we have to understand the power that we have. We have an inheritance that Paul prayed for Ephesus, that you would understand the greatness of his riches, of his inheritance in the saints, that we would get it. And we have a responsibility with what we have. Say this with me. Circumstances, Circumstances. will not rule me. Say this with me. It doesn't work this way anymore. Mm-mm. Before you were in Christ, the ship went down. Ship's not going down anymore. Before you were in Christ, the train went off the rails. Train's not going off the rails anymore. It doesn't work this way anymore. It doesn't work this way anymore. This is the inheritance of the saints, that God works all things out to the good of those that love him and are called according to their purpose. That's your destiny. Don't let the enemy lie to you and don't take what is not. God will restore. Go to the place of hope and claim your double portion for your trouble. It's yours. It doesn't work this way anymore, man. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, sir. Not for me. As for me and my house. That's right. We'll stand on the promises and believe what is rightfully mine. This is how we become strong. We're strong. We slay the giants. We bring down the darkness. We tear down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. We change worlds. We change atmospheres. We change cultures. We change societies. The church becomes an unstoppable force when the sons and daughters of God can begin to think and understand this. And it begins to impact their life in a way that we actually live it out. Next slide. Doesn't work that way anymore. Next time something happens to you, you need to look in the mirror and you need to go, doesn't work that way anymore. Not working like that anymore. I may have been broke 20 years of my life. I'm not broke anymore. It's not working that way anymore. I may have been the doormat for the last 50 years of my life. It's not working that way anymore. I am the head and not the tail. I am above only and not beneath. My God shall cause me to ride upon the high places. These blessings shall overtake me if I will hearken and diligently obey the voice of the Lord my God. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> even, say it with me, even in loss. <laughs> this is yours, child of God. You see why the enemy attacks your identity? He don't want you to know that. He don't want you to know who you are. He works through the church. God help us. Well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. My Bible says, according to my faith, so be it unto me. That's what my Bible says. And I believe for my inheritance. And I believe my father is good. And I believe like Caleb, I am as strong this day as I was then for going in and going out for war and for peace. Give me the land. That's what my Bible says. Well, brother, we don't know. We just, Lord gives. Mysterious are the ways of the Lord. The Bible doesn't say that either. He can be known. He can be known. 
The Lord can be known. His ways can be known. His heart can be known. He can be known. We have to develop a mindset of hope. We have to believe, believe things will be different. Hope, say this with me. Hope, hope. this is important. Hope, hope. reinterprets the circumstances. You must have hope and you must reinterpret your circumstances with hope. Develop that mindset. What does that mean? The woman with the issue of blood. Okay, anybody know the story? She's got a blood issue. Her circumstances are telling her no hope. Doctors can't do any more for her. She's been to every doctor there could be. Doctors can't do any more. Doctors are saying no hope. She spent every dollar she's had. Her bank account is now telling her there's no hope. But hope reinterprets the circumstances. She said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Hope is going by me. Unto Jesus Christ, my hope. The Son of Righteousness comes with healing in his wings. If I can but touch my, his garment, I will be whole. Hope reinterprets the circumstances. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe your bank account? You're going to believe what they say, what he says, what she says, what anybody says? You're going to believe even what you say? Paul says it is a small thing that, is, that I am judged by you, for I don't even judge myself. I don't even speak against myself. The one that I'm only opinion I'm interested in is what does the Lord say? That's what he said. I'm paraphrasing, of course. <laughs> we have to believe it. So, okay, we have the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus called her a dog. I have no covenant with you. You're not a Jew. You're not in faith. Who are you? You're a dog. Her situation was hopeless. But hope reinterpreted the circumstance. She said, I believe this God is generous. I believe this God is loving. I believe this God is kind and merciful. Dogs eat the crumbs from the table. Jesus looked at her and said, take it. Here you go. Hope reinterprets the circumstances. The prodigal son, what? He's with pigs, right? By his own choice, he's created this mess of his life. And instead of saying, well, I've made this mess. I've made my bed. I just, I just got to lie in it. You know, what do you think? I wanted to have my cake and eat it too. I've made the mess. You know, well, you know, I just got to re receive these circumstances. He said, the servants of my father's house are better fed than this. I will return to my father's house and I will ask him to take me in as a servant. Hope reinterpreted the circumstance. Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. The dude was in prison for 13 years. We act like he was there for a weekend. He was there for 13 years, accused of a rape he did not commit, sold as a slave by his brothers, stripped of everything that he owned, stripped of his identity, stripped of his family, stripped of everything that he had, falsely accused, and he stands with hope in saying what was meant for evil, God has brought about for good. Hope must oh, hope must reinterpret the circumstance praise so we develop mindset this is the last slide praise Zechariah again okay so here we go Christian we're gonna we're gonna waffle level we elevate here Zechariah he's speaking prophetic language people don't understand the prophetic books because they don't understand the prophetic language people don't understand the prophetic books even scholars because they have no value for the prophetic word so they don't understand and discern the language in which the Lord is speaking. Here he says, I have bent the bow of Judah. Now, is he literally bending a bow called Judah? Is that what he's doing? Of course not. What's Judah mean? Help me out. We all should know this one. Judah means praise. I am bending the bow of praise. Okay? 
When I have bent the bow, when, when I have bent the bow of praise for me, in other words, praise for my praise, I will fill the bow with Ephraim. Ephraim means fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is found in praise. That's what the Bible is telling you here. And I will raise up my sons against your sons. What God is saying, when you begin to praise me, you're going to find fruitfulness. When you begin to praise me, you're going to not only find fruitfulness, I'm going to turn you into a weapon against your enemies. Do you think we should praise him? When we bend the bow of praise, in the praise you will find hope and fruitfulness, and I will begin to transform you into a weapon against your enemies. It's all through the Bible. I mean, we give one story. Since the worship leaders out. They're going to fight. They're going to go to war. The band wouldn't volunteer for this mission. They're going to go fight a big army. And they go, okay, Lord, we're going to fight this army, so how do you want us to reign? And he's like, all right, I need the guitar player, the trumpeters, and the singers. Get some vocalists out front, a few tambourines as well, and let them lead the way into the fight. That'd be a bad day to be in the band. Come to the band and be like, man, dude, what do you got against me, man? I can sing better. Don't put me out there like that, you know? And Joshua's going, listen, here's the Lord's plan. Worship team, you're going to lead the way. And as we lead the way, God's going to destroy the enemies without us even having to pick up a fight. Truth or reality, you decide. Bad news. Father, I think this is what happened. We have bad news. We begin to thank him. We begin to praise him. Father, I thank you that you're for me. I thank you that this situation doesn't define me. I thank you that these circumstances don't define me. We begin to praise him. We begin to acknowledge. We begin to engage. And then we begin to pray. This is another aspect of it. We pray. Prayer, not, oh, God, would you, could you, should you? If you're in a good mood today, if you really feel like it, Jesus, you know, Jesus is always in a good mood. Our prayers must be in agreement with what he says. You want effective prayers? Find out what he says and pray what he says. Pray what he says. Pray who you are. And here you go. Prophesy over the details of your life. Speak over the details of your life. You have to open your mouth. We're a prophetic generation, a prophetic people. We have to speak. Why do we speak? Because your bank account's speaking, people. Your flat tire in your car is talking to you. Right? That family situation, it's talking to you. It's talking to you when you're trying to rest. It's talking to you when you're up and down and sideways and left and right. Speak to that situation. I just declare peace in this situation in Jesus' name. And whatever's going on, whatever's happening, you prophesy and you call out. The, 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 you shift it. You shift it. You shift it. You say it doesn't make any sense because God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. The wisdom of man is, 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 is foolishness to the Lord. It's a folly. It's also mustard seeds. The Christian sows and does instant. You mean to tell me that if I just begin to declare things are going to happen? Yeah, you do it consistently. I guarantee you things are going to happen. You begin to declare over your own life. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. I'm blessed in my coming in and blessed in my going out. No weapon that is formed against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises against me will be condemned. This is the inheritance, the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is my inheritance, and I claim it, and I stand on it, and I release it. Watch it change, man. Watch it change. We have to operate in the levels of change in the places that he has called us to be. We pray, declare, and prophesy. And here's the goal. Because this is what we do. Because this is a Burger King United States. It's what we do. We, just, we, we want it our way and we want it now. We go, ding, ding. Well, I prayed nothing happened. Nothing happened, man. I declared, Kevin, for two whole days. And nothing happened. Haman had a leprosy. He had an issue of the flesh. God said, go dip seven times in the Jordan. 
Elijah wanted rain in the land. There hadn't been rain, it had been barren forever, been barren for years, there'd been no rain. He said, go and pray. The servant went sent for seven times. Seven is not the number. Seven was do it until it happens. Seven is the number of completion. Dip in that river until that leprosy is gone. Pray into the atmosphere until the hand of God comes through. That's what Elijah saw. He saw a hand. Pray till you see the hand of God coming through. And when you see the hand of God coming through, it's going to rain. Come on. Come on, man. This is who we are. This is who we are. Aren't you glad? He's that good. You don't have to live as you've always been. Say it one more time. It doesn't work this way anymore. Hmm. We're going to take communion. So, I'm just going to talk and you guys...